0: Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 17 together. Our, our title this morning is Overcoming a Love for the World. How many of you growing up ever um, did the cadence, she loves me, she loves me not, or he loves me, he loves me not? How many of you ever did that? Tom, I know whenever it came to Court and Susie, you were back, you were going, she loves me she loves me not, she loves me, she, uh uh-oh, loves me not. You know, uh, how many of you ever did that? If you ever got to that last flower and it came down to she loves me not, what would you do? You would drop that flower, you go pick another one, and you would start over, wouldn't you? Because you had to get to that point where you were like, she loves me or he loves me. Within Scripture, there is clearly um, a wrestling of love, isn't there? There is the love of God, which we know he loves us absolutely, right? There is also a pulling that we have in this world from the world to get us to love it. And we know the, lo- the, the world wants us to love it without a doubt. So notice what God's word says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. We read these words. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with his desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You know, there is a danger of loving the world. Do you ever feel as if you are under constant attack from the devil? Do you ever feel like those uh, um, fiery darts are unrelenting? Hopefully you do, because if you ever get to the point in your life where you're like, man, the devil's not attacking me anymore, so that must mean that I, there's such a hedge of protection around me that, that, that he realizes he can't get to me. Well, if you ever are not being attacked by the devil, it's probably not because you're so in love with God that the devil isn't messing with you anymore. It's probably the, uh, the, the opposite, isn't it? It's probably because you're not as close to God as you need to be, and the devil knows you're not as close to God as you need to be. And so he's not bothering you with you because he has other 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 people that he can bother. Man, all of us in this world are constantly, hopefully, under attack from, from the enemy because that is showing that we are growing in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason Scripture um, tells us to put on the full armor of God is because the devil is going to attack us. He's going to attack us every day, every moment of every day. We read in 1 Peter 5 eight: be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to defend. The devil is always trying to destroy us, always trying to devour us, always trying to get to us. In John 10, we read, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil is out to get us, he's out to destroy us, and he's out to get us to destroy one another. Turn your television on, and you can see that on full display every moment of every hour. To begin with, notice our first point this morning. John gives us a warning. We read, In 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do not have a worldly love. Since creation's beginning, the devil has been trying to pull the heart of man away from the heart of God. I mean, think about um, just within the book of Genesis. Reaching back to creation's beginning, Adam and Eve in the garden, first sin. Cain killed Abel. Man rebelled against God, and the floodwaters came. In Genesis chapter 11, we get a picture of the Tower of Babel being built. You know why that tower was built? Because man thought they could live independent of God. They they were wretched people. They were deprived people. And they were trying to get to the heavens so that if the rains ever came again, they would be protected. And then in Genesis 19, we read about Sodom and Gomorrah. How the world was; our, those cities were destroyed because of sin. Notice our first subpoint this morning: No one can serve two masters. Just as the world was broken in Genesis, we can be certain the world that we live in today is just as broken. Do not love the world or the things in the world. You know, as we look at this passage, it is important to note that John is not talking about a physical world here. Okay? He is not talking about the created world. God created this world for our enjoyment and for his glory. Okay? When Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God is not talking about the created world whenever he says not to have a love for it. He is talking about... Um, he 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 is talking specifically about the world orders about 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 the things that lead us away from God that Satan tries to 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 lure us away when John says do not love the world he's not talking about his created world what John is warning us against this morning is the love for the things of the world this world is led by Satan who works against Christ and his people you know that to be right correct Satan is out to, out to do everything he can to get us to take our eyes off of the Lord and his word and follow after him and his ways. Chuck Swindoll in his commentary writes, This world is hostile to righteousness, magnifies humanity, celebrates depravity, and rejects God's word. This world is 100% against Christ in all things Christ. Jesus spoke to this in John eight forty two through 44. We read, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your, and your will is to do your father's desires." He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When you and I follow after the things of this world, we are following after the father of lies, the devil himself. So, so what should we do? We should have a love that is supreme. God's love must be supreme and paramount in our lives. Again, in verse 15, we read, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. A love for this world is serious. And a love for it has eternal consequences. How many of you know people that, that, that have walked away from the church because of their love for the world? You ever known people like that? I think all of us have. Stephen Cole writes, worldliness is at its core a matter of the heart. If your heart is captured by the world, you will love the things of the world. If your heart is captured by the love of God, you will be drawn to him and to the things of God. Where is your heart this morning? Who has captured your heart? Is it the devil, or is it God the Father? John Piper shares, love for the world pushes out love for God, and love for God pushes out love for the world. May you and I have a love for God that pushes out the love of this world. Last week, um, one of the quotes that I shared was, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. If you and I want to be lovers of God more than lovers of the world, then we need to find ourselves in his word, right? Studying it and applying it to our life. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Unfortunately, I think again, all of us have seen people that have walked away from the church. We have all seen people that that have gone after the pursuits of this world. Maybe it was a a, um, newfound money or the pursuit of money. Maybe it was because of a relationship with a boy or a girl. Um, You know, I've known many um, younger families walk away from the church because they were all about their kids and their sports all about playing in summer leagues and fall leagues and spring leagues, which literally kept them away from the church almost every single Sunday. The greatest missionary to ever walk the face of this earth, Paul, witnessed one of his own co-laborers pursue after the things of the world and walk away from him. In 2 Timothy 4.10 we read, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. I think all of us, again, have seen people walk away from the church and desert the church, desert their relationship with with Christ for their, their, their love for this world. Notice our second point this morning. It is this, the devil is deceptive. In verse 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. The devil is deceptive, isn't he? He is crafty. You know, in, in, in Genesis, we see him as a snake. And that's who the devil is. He is a snake. He is crafty. He is out to deceive us. He's out to get us to take our eyes off Jesus. And he's trying to get us to love this world more than we love our Lord. In Christ-centered commentary, we read, This is one of the most important verses in the Bible. It identifies in vivid terms the weapons the world uses to seduce men and women into joining its side. And amazingly, each of these weapons resides within us. These same three weapons slew Adam and Eve in the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, we read Then the woman saw that the tree was good for life. So we see there a desire for the flesh or a lust of the flesh. And then it was delightful to, to look at. So you got the lust of the eyes and the desires of the eyes. And that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. A picture of the pride of life right there. You and I must understand and fully grasp these weapons these, the devil uses um, against us and uses within his tool belt to get us to take our eyes off of Jesus. In verse sixteen, again, for all that is in the world, the desires. What does this word desire mean? It literally means the cravings of the world, or the lust of the world, or the passions of the world. John speaks first here of fleshly desires. How many of you have ever given into your flesh? You don't have to raise your hand. Okay, because I know the answer to that. 100% of us in here have given into our flesh at some point or another in our life. Most of us probably even this morning already, even though it's only about 943 this morning, we have already given into our flesh, into the desires of the flesh. All of us have. Many of us growing up had as our motto, if it feels good, just do it. We have been taught by the father of lies that sin is fun, that it is enticing, that it is attractive. All of us have, have given into our fleshly appetite. We have given into our flesh and become sinful people. All of us have done that. I mean, even Paul, one of the greatest Christians to ever walked the face of the earth, and one of the greatest missionaries, talked about how he was at war with his flesh was at war. He wanted to do right, but oftentimes he didn't do what he wanted to do, meaning that he sinned and he gave into his flesh. All of us in this room have given into our flesh. We need to recognize that our flesh is weak, but our God is strong. When we find um, ourselves being immersed in the things of God, we're going to give into the flesh less and less to better understand the desires of the flesh let's look at galatians 5:19 through 21 and paul gives us a whole host of things that represent the flesh we read now the works of the flesh are evident sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And notice what it says here. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. People that, that give in to their fleshly desires continuously are not going to inherit the kingdom of God, is what Scripture says. You know why they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God? Because they're not followers of God. They're followers of the world and followers after the devil. Notice what John speaks to next, the visual desires. Just as our flesh has an appetite, so does our eyes, right? All of us have heard the saying, feast your eyes on this. You know, that saying means take great pleasure in what you are looking at, or you can look but not touch. You know, our society is driven by sight. Turn your television on. Go to www anything and you see this to be true. Social media, billboards, movies, commercials, our our world is driven by trying to get us to look upon certain things and at certain things. I read that 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 most Americans see somewhere around ten thousand um, um, ads every single day. That's crazy, ten thousand. But everything that you watch, everything that you look at, there is some kind of subliminal message put into it, trying to get you and I to buy into it. The eyes are the visual gateway to the mind. If they can get us here, then they're going to eventually get us to buy into it and to purchase it or to do it or whatever. I I remember reading um, in in different church history books during my... um, college days and seminary days. And I remember that there were actually people to combat a love for uh, or or to keep themselves from giving into the things of this world. They would actually gouge out their eyes so that they would not look upon something and and give into it. Now, I'm not advising that. I think that's ludicrous right there. I think there's other ways if you and I would look upon God's Word and look to the things of God, we can combat uh, uh, the desires of our eyes. But that is what people did. you remember what led David to commit the reprehensible sin with Bathsheba? It was his eyes, right? He looked out over the terrace and he saw Bathsheba. And she was beautiful, so he sent for her and he slept with her. Philippians 4.8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Let's take those trashy images that we might see and replace them with the things of this world. And the next thing that we see John warn us against is prideful desires. Okay, The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes speak of what we do not have. Okay, But pride speaks to that which we do have. A person that is prideful is a person that is boastful. They are the I, the me, the my people. Pride is a difficult thing to conquer because all of us have stuff, and most of us love to share with other people what stuff we might have, right? We need to guard against pridefulness in our lives. First Corinthians 131, Paul wrote, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. If you and I are going to boast in that which we have, let's boast in our relationship with Jesus Christ to other people. That's the greatest thing that we can boast about, right? What Jesus has done for us, how he has set us free from the bondage of sin. That is worthy to be boastful about. So we see here the desires of the flesh and eyes and pridefulness are not of God. In Romans twelve two, 2, um, Paul instructs us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. In James 4, 7, we read, Resist the devil and he will flee. You know how we protect our flesh and our eyes and ourselves from pridefulness? Resist the devil and he will flee. That is a command that we have been given and a promise that we have been given that if we say, devil, get thee behind me, that the devil will get thee behind me. Okay? resist the devil and he will flee. Notice our final point this morning is this, have an eternal focus. In verse 17, we read, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You know, the best way to keep from being a lover of the world is to love God, isn't it? Matthew 22, um, Jesus his, his interaction with the religious leaders. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law of the prophets. Two final truths. The first one is this. The world will pass away. Every investment we make into this world system will pass away, won't it? Every structure that is built, every commodity that is traded, every item that is purchased will indeed one day pass away. So why in the world would you and I invest all of our energy into something that is eventually going to pass away? No, there's only one thing that will last forever and that is God himself, and when you and I abide in him, we too will last forever. That's our second one. Our second sub-point here is the will of God abides forever. You know how you and I can protect ourselves from a love for this world? We love God more fully. That is what is most important, and he indeed is what is most important. When Jesus walked the face of this earth, what was Jesus' goal? We read of this and all throughout the New Testament. Jesus was about doing his father's will, wasn't he? In John 4:34, Jesus said, "My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work." In John 5:30, Jesus said, "I can do nothing on my own." I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus was all about doing God the Father's will for his life. You and I, that is what we need to do as well. You know how we overcome the world? We do the will of God. We put into practice God's word. We become doers of God's word. In Psalm 34, 8, the psalmist um, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, growing up, I did not like guacamole, okay? Um, I didn't like the look of it. Even though I'm colorblind, it looked nasty. I didn't like the texture of it because it felt nasty. But as I have grown up... um, and, and actually really tasted guacamole prepared the right way, that first time that I really tasted it prepared the right way, man, all of my tuss, taste buds just exploded in my mouth. Now, I love guacamole now. You know what happens whenever you and I taste and see that God is good? There's an explosion within our heart and within our lives, and we can know without a shadow of a doubt that God is good. He is a good, good Father, and when you and I abide in him, then we are guaranteed, according to scriptures, that we will experience eternal life. How do we overcome a love for this world? We love Christ more fully. Our our takeaway this morning is this. The world is not worth loving, but Christ is. Because none of us will take anything with us when we take our final breath on this side of eternity, will will we? So let's love God more fully. Let us daily taste and see how good God is and what good he wants us to do for him that particular day. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this morning to worship you. Father, I pray this morning as we enter into this time of invitation, if there is a decision that needs to be made, Lord Jesus, you'll, you will draw the lost unto yourself, Father. I pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that you will, um, if there's someone here that, that you're leading to make friendship their church home, that they will, they will, they will take a step out of the pew and come forward to join this church, Father. Lord, I know that every single one of us in this room wrestle on a daily basis with our flesh. Father, our flesh is weak, but we know that you are strong and you abide within us. So help us, Lord Jesus, overcome the flesh. Help us, Father, be men and women that walk intimately with you. And pursue after you, and not the things of this world. Father, move now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.